Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Our final session for Couples Talk with Counselor Doug Doherty will be this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Childcare is available. Youth ministry will also be meeting. Our regular men's and women's Bible studies, along with kids' ministry, will kick off for the new year on Wednesday, February 15th. Parents, need a night out? Drop off the kids in the children's building on Friday, February 10th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. and go out on a date or get some much-needed self-time. There will be pizza, indoor <laughs> games, outdoor games, popcorn, and a movie for the kids. There is no set cost for this event, but we will be taking donations that will go towards sending kids to camp. February 12th, join us for a special event as we welcome Pastor Joe Allen, chaplain at Dallas Theological Seminary, as our guest speaker at our 11 a.m. service. For more information on these or any of our other events, go online to firewheelfellowship.com, or you can always check us out on social media. Good morning, Firewheel. How are you today? If you drive a, a gray Chevy Tahoe, a gray Chevy truck, your lights are still on. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you guys want to stand and worship with us. Yeah, that wasn't a joke, by the way. There's really a truck out there with the lights on. That wasn't a Sean joke. <laughs> Not a Sean joke today. <laughs>
Good morning, Faro. How are you today? Good? Yes, we are so happy that you're here at church this morning. Um, let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time together. God, I just thank you for each and every person that walked in that door this morning. God, I ask that if uh, they got burdens and they brought them, that they just turn them over to you this morning. Just give them to you and just let them know uh, that you are near and that they can turn anything over to you. God, we love you and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen. If you'll go and find two or three people and tell them their love, that would be awesome.
was heavy The chains break at the weight of your glory I needed shelter, I was an orphan Now you call me a citizen of heaven When I was
My name's Kevin Davis, and I am uh, one of the elders here at Firewheel Bible Fellowship. I also have an opportunity uh, to be one of our church, uh, teachers here on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, we love Firewheel, and we love Sunday mornings, and we love coming together, and we love the music, and we love the fellowship, and we love the preaching. But we also pause during the service every Sunday to remind us of why we are here and the reason we are here indisputably is Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. And you see, communion is a reminder for us of what Jesus did and it's a reminder that he's the only one who was able to pay for the sins of you and I. The Apostle Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We also read from the book of Luke, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The bread is representative of Christ's broken body on the cross that he chose to give up for you and I. And the cup of juice that we have is symbolic of his blood, again, that he chose to shed for you and I. His body his blood, his sacrifice, and for us, it's our salvation, it's our redemption, it's our hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we honor you, Lord. You are the Lord God Almighty, and we praise you, and we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you for his blood. I pray this act of communion will be pleasing to you, O Lord, for you and you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. The communion tables are now open.
no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Snow wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me.
God, it's your breath this morning, not ours. God, we thank you for your breath and the fact that you decide what we say and what we do and how we do it, God. God, we love you. We thank you for the many blessings you bless upon us and our church. God, be with Adrian as he speaks and just give us ears to listen. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all again on another Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, that we have an opportunity to worship together. If I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina. I have the opportunity to serve as the interim pastor here at Firewall Bible Fellowship, and we are really grateful that you are joining us, whether you're in person or online. Uh, we are very glad that you are here. So we find ourselves, we are in a sermon series working through the book of Esther. And I hope that you guys have been reading along and enjoying our journey through the book of Esther. It's a very interesting uh, narrative that we read. And the only book in the whole entire Bible that does not mention God, yet we have seen God all over the book. So last week we looked at Esther chapter 4 and we saw basically the conflict entering into the story. And we see kind of the decision our heroine has to make as she is confronted with the reality of her choice to seize her God-given opportunity to deliver her people. So is Esther going to make the decision to seize that opportunity or allow it to pass by her? Translating that into our lives, we can see how we can make excuses like Esther initially made that it's not the right time or, it's, or we can embrace that it's God's perfect timing. Because oftentimes these opportunities that we are given in life come at the most inopportune times. And usually decisions have to be made that are in some way in conflict with what we perceive to be the reality that is set before us. And that's what it really means to walk the life of faith. Is faith is not an easy trek. This Christian life is not an easy thing as we uh, venture forward with God uh, to be able to walk in faith and not walk in things like fear, anxiety, and those kind of things. So just as a way of review, our one true statement from last week is that God-given opportunities can be seized by you or they can pass by you. God-given opportunities can be seized by you or they can pass by you. And in this series, I want to continue to reinforce there's two major theological key elements that are all, that is evident throughout the book of Esther. They're two sides of the proverbial same coin. And these I'm going to continuously bring up every single Sunday because this is really kind of what God is doing in this book. Number one is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God talks about God's comprehensive rule over all of life. That basically means he's the boss. That means that God has the power, he has the authority as creator uh, to be able to do what he deems fit. The psalmist says that God does whatever he pleases. All right, so he can do literally whatever he pleases. So sovereignty talks about the power, the ability that God has to do that as the rightful ruler over all of creation. Providence is kind of the outworking of that reality. The providence of God is God's gracious activity through history. How is God working out in human history the actual agency of his power? How is it being manifested in the acts and uh, through people, through situations, circumstances within history? How is God actually at work? So as we continue in the book of Esther, we're going to find ourselves in Esther chapter 5 this morning. She is finally going to, she has made the decision, remember setting up this story in chapter 5. At the end of chapter 4, she has been uh, asked the women 
and asked Mordecai to have all the Jews to be able to fast and pray for her for three days before she presents herself before the king. She initially had rejected Mordecai's uh, when she's presented with the edicts that they're going to be exterminated. Initially, she started making excuses. But at the end of chapter 4, we see when Mordecai confronts her and says that may you have been selected for such a time as this. Then she finally puts her plan into action. And she says, have everybody, all the Jews, fast and pray. I'm going to have my women fast and pray. And then I will go before the king. And whatever happens to me, happens to me. So as we continue in chapter 5, we're going to see her plan now start to come into action as she works up the courage to address the king. And what I titled this sermon is Courage Needed. Anybody need a little courage today? Right? And I'm not talking about liquid courage. All right? You can understand what I'm saying by that. But we all need a little courage. And faith really does take courage. Now, I love watching movies. Any other uh, hardcore movie watchers out there? I love movies because movies, uh, they have a message. They're a way of, of narrative. There's ways that we can interact with movies and see them from a Christian perspective, no matter what the movie is, and, and see redemptive qualities sometimes in those, or understand what the culture is trying to say and how we can interact. Now, how many of you have ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Uh, it came out a number of years ago. Some of y'all have seen Hacksaw Ridge. Now, it's a war movie with graphic violence, so be forewarned if you haven't seen it. I'm not necessarily advocating for you to see it, but the message of the movie actually has uh, some connections to something I want to share with you today. So Hacksaw Ridge tells the, the incredible story of Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector. This is what that means, meaning that he refused to kill or even carry a weapon within the war. He was the seven-day Adventist who enlisted in the army as a medic. He suffered tremendous persecution and rejection from his fellow soldiers and superiors for his beliefs. Armed with nothing more than a Bible and his faith, Doss single-handedly saved 75 men without firing a bullet in the bloodiest battle of the Pacific in World War II. The fighting took place on a 400-foot cliff, which was fortified with Japanese machine guns and traps. But what happened was the key to winning this, and it was the key turning point in winning the battle in Okinawa. In the movie, Doss, played by Andrew Garfield, is essentially alone on the ridge outside because there are many wounded within his troop, and his troop had retreated. And so what he does is he lowers injured soldiers down the ridge with a rope tied around their waist and using the tree trunk as a pulley. And he's actually lowering them with all of his physical strength, lowering them down this 400-foot cliff. The most moving thing and one of the most moving elements of the movie is the scene where he's just weary, his hands are bloodied, his face is all sweaty, guns are still blazing around him, and he just says this, Lord, help me save one more. Lord, help me save one more. Here's a picture of President Harry S. Truman, who presented Doss with the Medal of Honor on October 12, 1945. He was the first conscientious objector to ever receive, the, to receive this medal. It's really a story of incredible courage and a story of great honor. What is courage? When that word comes to mind, many of you may think of many different things. You may think of a specific person that uh, exemplified this, maybe. You might think of certain characteristics and qualities and traits. Well, courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc., without fear, and to exhibit bravery. Let me say that again. Courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, 
etc., without fear and to exhibit bravery. Another definition I ran across said this, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. Courage is the ability to do something that frightens one. Courage is always coupled with fear. And courage is something that is an active thing that somebody demonstrates, that somebody does. And when we look at our heroine of the story, Esther, she's going to demonstrate tremendous courage in our passage today. And I think it's very emblematic for all of us because we all can use a little more courage at times. Because we all are going to face difficult circumstances. We are all going to have to face decisions that we're all going to face obstacles where here's my one truth for you today is that incredible faith requires incredible courage. Incredible faith requires incredible courage. The walk of faith will require you to utterly depend upon God to be able to make decisions and to be able to walk out this thing we call the Christian life in the face of lots of opposition. Incredible faith requires incredible courage. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to start right in Esther chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now before we get into the text, I want to introduce you to Mission Impossible. Do, 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 you know, you can hear the soundtrack in your mind. So here's what I mean by introducing you to Mission Impossible. There's four objectives that basically Esther is going to have to deal with this reality if she so chooses to go forward with her plan. Number one is she had to speak to the king, which if she wasn't accepted, the penalty was death. We talked a little bit about that last week. If he did not extend the golden scepter to her, then she would be executed because she went before the king without permission. So that's number one. Number two is that to make her appeal to the king, in doing so, she was essentially confessing to the king that she was a Jew, which had not yet been revealed at this point in the story. So she basically would have to tell the king that she was lying about her ethnic identity and who she truly was. That's number two. Number three is Esther has to try to get the king to reverse or somehow act upon an irrevocable, an irrevocable law. If you remember back to when this edict was addressed and was sealed to basically execute the Jews, we talked a little bit about the law of the Medes and Persians. That when the king executed an edict, it was irrevocable in that cultural context. So basically the king couldn't take it back. So she had to somehow, some way, get the king to be able to act upon or do something in relationship to an irrevocable law that had already been put in place. And then lastly, Esther has to stand up to Haman, who's the villain of the story, who's the second most powerful man in the known world. Esther, this is your mission if you should choose to accept it. And this mission will self-destruct in 30 seconds. All right, so this is like mission impossible. For all accounts and purposes on a human level, this is an impossible task. But isn't it good to know that there's nothing impossible for God? Amen? So Esther, as she accepts this, she's going to demonstrate incredible faith and courage because it takes guts because she has no idea how the story's going to work out. Please, when you're reading the scripture and you put yourself into this narrative, remember, she doesn't know the end from the beginning. Unlike you, you know the end of the story. So put yourself in her shoes, imagining at that time she doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. She's willing to step in faith, but it may mean her very apparent demise. So let's look at verse 1, the entrance of Esther. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. 
So here she goes now going to enact this plan as they've already fasted and everything, as we said, and now she's going to present herself before the king. I can't imagine what's going on in her head. She's trying to find the perfect outfit. She's probably trying to talk up herself to, to, to work up the courage. She knows that this could be the last time that she puts on these clothes, the last time she walks the halls of this palace. It's probably the scariest moment of her life because her life is not in her hands. There's no way she can control the outcome. By breaking the law and entering into the king's court unannounced, she can face very apparent demise. On a legitimate reason, she has to be afraid, but she's resigned herself to whatever will happen will happen. Here's the thing about courage. Courage can only be expressed in the face of fear, difficulty, pain, or anger. Courage requires kind of the opposite of it in order for it to be enacted. And so that means that you're wrestling internally with kind of attention. I can imagine putting myself in her shoes that internally I would be feeling a lot of different emotions. To be able to work up and overcome this fear, to be able to walk out and to be able to fulfill this plan which she had placed in her mind and in her heart. Now, one of my biggest fears in life is heights. Any y'all, anybody else afraid of heights? I hate heights. Uh, when I get around heights, if any place where I do not feel secure, my feet to the ground, if my feet start, you know, my legs start doing this, this number, start turning to jello, and I just collapse like a ball, like I'll go into the fetal position. That's how deathly afraid of heights I am. Now, my wife did not know this. So Jen did not know, she did not find out to the second year of our marriage that I was afraid of heights. So let me tell you how my wife found out we were afraid of, I was afraid of heights. So we had a great second anniversary in Washington, D.C. Jen's uncle used to work in, in Washington, D.C., her departed uncle, and he basically allowed us, he worked for uh, the hotel, uh, the Holiday Inn at the Capitol, and he planned this wonderful thing for us, allowed us to stay at the hotel, got us reservations at the chef's table at his favorite restaurant, and then made dessert reservations for us at the Hotel Washington rooftop. Now, if you've ever been to the Hotel Washington, it's, very, it's a very beautiful view. It is. If you're not close to the edge, it's a very beautiful view. So you're looking at the White House. You're getting to see all the, the memorials basically as they lit up in the night D.C. sky, and it's nighttime. It's like the most perfect romantic kind of situation. And we go there, and I go to the, the check-in table. I basically say, we have reservations. And they're like, oh, no, we don't do reservations here. I said, no, my uncle said we have reservations. His name's Dean Wilhelm. Oh, you must be Adrian and Jennifer Pina. So all of a sudden, you name dropped, and all of a sudden, they had this special this seat next to us to get the best view, but this seat was exactly next to the barrier that protected you from falling over the roof. So as I sit down, I'm like sitting down, and I had to sit on my back. And like even as I go around, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like doing one of these numbers as I go around, right? So I'm going around, and I sit, and my knees are knocking, and she's like, she's like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? I'm like... I, I don't do heights. I just, like, don't do heights. That was the moment she found out I was deathly afraid of heights, okay? We're on our anniversary. We had a good time. I managed to, like, drown it out and just focus on her, and my knees eventually stopped knocking. But here's the funny thing. I love roller coasters. I don't like heights, but I love roller coasters. So, interestingly enough, when a roller coaster goes up, I just keep focused. I just don't look to this left. I don't look to the right. I'm just, I'm, like, straight ahead. I'm not looking so that way the heights so, but as soon as we get to that top, right, and that adrenaline kicks in, and then all of a sudden I become an adrenaline junkie. So for some reason, 
I don't like heights, but I can ride a roller coaster. Why? Because of the fact that I have the ability to overcome my fear. Life will put you in circumstances, ladies and gentlemen, where you will have to exhibit courage or you will crumble under the weight of fear. We'll all face those situations. When we exhibit courage, it's an active thing. I'm reminded of the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Actually starts out by basically saying, my servant Moses is dead. Now Joshua, be strong and courageous. Says it multiple times over and over again. Because he knew that he was going to exhibit, have to exhibit courage because of what he was doing in leading this people into the promised land. Life circumstances will, will, you will be confronted at some point in your life, if you have not been already yet, where you will have to exhibit courage in the face of something that seems insurmountable. Or we can crumble under the weight of fear. Fear has the power to paralyze. Fear has the power to do one of two things. Fear is actually a natural emotion that God has given us to protect us. It's kind of like a warning sign. It's kind of like a warning indicator on your dashboard of your car. It's kind of saying there's a problem that you need to address or maybe something you need to do. It's a kind of defense mechanism. But, worry, but fear can also not only protect you, it can paralyze you if you allow it to. It'll literally freeze you in place. And it'll make you not want to act. And it can leave you trapped. I'm sure Esther's knees were knocking as she was going to the king. And yet still, there she goes to proceed, to go forward, to enact what she felt was the right thing to do, and what I genuinely believe that God had given her the favor to do. Let's look at verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. There's that word again that has appeared numerous times already. Remember, the word is basically grace. Think grace when you see the word favor there which she has received over and over again. She's won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter. Now she knows she's not going to be executed, at least, at least at that moment. He holds out the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of his scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. Esther stands as the only hope for the Jews because no one else could go before the king besides her. She's uniquely positioned on purpose for purpose to be in this spot at this moment for her to be able to speak on behalf of her people. The king was not literally going to give Esther half the kingdom. It's an exaggeration. He's basically saying, honey, whatever you want, ask of it. If it's in my power, I'm going to give it to you. I will grant your request. So this is how this is introduced. The golden scepter is extended. Now she's given permission to speak, to be able to make her request known. Here's a principle for you. When we walk in courageous faith, I believe God gives us generous grace. When we walk in courageous faith, God gives us generous grace. Over and over again, we see the word favor, grace, that's extended to Esther over and over again. Why? Because she continues to walk in faith. She doesn't have all the answers. Like I said, she doesn't know the end from the beginning like we do because now we read the whole and complete story, but yet she is doing, she's acting upon that which she knows and she's taking the steps of faith and God continuously is extending her favor, opening door after door after door after door. Remember, this is a Jewish woman in a Persian kingdom who should never be in the position that she is in if not for God. 
And so God opens up the opportunity for her. He continues to extend to her generous grace. And I believe the same thing for you and I. I believe that God is asking his people to trust him and to walk in faith. And when we trust him and we walk in faith, God will never take us where his spirit is not leading. And he will never take us where he does not open the way and gives us the grace necessary to be able to fulfill his purpose and his plan. God knows that you and I, we need his grace and that we need courage to follow his purposes for us. So we see as Esther receives this favor. Now what is her request? Look at verse 4. So now she opens her mouth and she speaks. What is she going to ask of the king? And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Now, if you have been part of this series at all or are at all familiar with the book of Esther, remember, our king loves to party. So, of course, he's going to be there. So, she wants to prepare a banquet, a party for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So, the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. Look at verse 6. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, verse 8, If I have found favor, as she has already found favor, now she's reiterating that reality. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king said. So king, you're here at this party that I prepared for you. Now the king says, okay, tell me what your wish is. I want you to come back tomorrow with Haman and we're going to have another party. And that's basically what she wishes. And when you read the story, it seems to like not make sense until it totally does make sense. It's like, why does she want to extend further at least a 24-hour period for what she is actually enacting? But we'll see how God is working behind the scenes. It's probably not the smartest thing to do, if you think about it, to talk to the king and his second-in-commands who made this edict to kill the queen right in front of everybody. And so she suggests that the king and... Haman would be alone for this dinner for her. God's working behind the scenes. Why does she use 24 hours? Because God's working behind the scenes. Little do we know until we continue on in the story that Haman is going to enact the first part of his plan, which ends up actually being his own execution to set it up in a 24-hour period. Haman's drunk with wine, and then he gets angry when he sees Mordecai. And in seeing Mordecai, he says he decides and gets really bad counsel that he should build these gallows. Well, 24 hours later, he's going to be confronted with that reality. So in that time, the waiting, God was working. Now, years ago, an aircraft carrier took off from LaGuardia and almost instantaneously ran into a flock of geese. Many of you all probably know this story. The pilot, Chelsea Sullenberger III, affectionately known as Sully, made several lightning-fast decisions and performed dozens of complex flying maneuvers in a couple of minutes, and the plan landed safely on the Hudson River. Not a single person perished with what should have been a disastrous event. Lots of people said it was a miracle. 
And I wouldn't for a moment say that God was not involved in the process. But the reason the plane landed safely was that Sullinger had been flying planes and gliders and teaching others to do so for over 30 years. His character had been so formed in all of those complex thoughts and actions that they became second nature. The, uh, the New Testament theologian N.T. Wright says this, that the danger in using the word miracle, in other words, is that we assume it's zero sum, either or. Either God did it or the pilot did it. But the reality is, is we put those things in conflict as if they should be in conflict. Here's the application I want to make. Is that oftentimes we live in a culture that wants to microwave things, wants to instantaneously. So we think that God is not working because God doesn't work exactly at our beckoning call. What is, what's the purpose of a microwave? To heat up something real quick. So it's like we drop a prayer to God, we expect him to move exactly at that moment, and if God doesn't move exactly at that moment, then somehow God is not working. That's not true, ladies and gentlemen. The things that are miraculous doesn't mean, miraculous does not equal instantaneous. And it doesn't mean that things that God is doing is not attributed perfectly to him and that God is working in order for things to be able to happen in your life. God has been working throughout this story, and it's taken little periods of time. God removed a queen, had a messed up season of The Bachelor, in order for a, a, a foreign woman to become queen. She was separated from the king for over 30 days. She fasts and prays for three days before she then approaches him. And I would say, and I hope that you see the thread line of this whole entire story as we've been working through it, God has been at work behind the scenes. It hasn't been instantaneous, but God has not stopped working. Don't stop praying for what you believe and what you're asking God to do. Just because it doesn't happen when we expect it to or want it to does not mean that God cannot perform a miracle over time. And that God cannot be working behind the scenes. My, my encouragement to you and to me is that can we have enough courage, can we have enough faith to say that God, even if you do not work instantaneously, I'm still going to trust you. That God, if you do not answer in the way that I intend or the way that I really want, if I'm honest with myself, can I still sit here and say that I'm going to trust you? Can we have courage to believe that when we make our requests to God, that even though we might be in fear or we might be scared, can we say that God, and be honest, that Lord, I'm afraid. And say that Lord, I'm afraid, but I am not afraid to trust you. That even though... I feel this sense of dread or I feel this sense of fear. My knees may be knocking like I'm going up on that roller coaster, but I am going to be able to push through that and to have courage to trust you to know that you are for me and not against me. Can we have the courage to come to God to answer our request even if it's not the way that we intend? Can you have courage to wait on his timing and not on ours? There's been a sequence of events that has happened in Esther that has led us to this point. And now, she goes before the king, is extended favor, and in 24 hours, a lot can happen. And a lot is going to happen in 24 hours. She sets the plan into motion, and I don't think she even knows fully everything that's going to happen in those 24 hours that basically Haman's going to build his own death trap. 
But here's the thing that she does know. She does know that whatever her fate is going to be, she's willing to leave it up to God because she trusts even though she's afraid. She's able to walk and have courage in the midst of her fear. Ladies and gentlemen, fear is a very real reality. Nobody ever promised, and God himself did not promise, that faith was ever going to be easy. There will be times when you are afraid. There will be times when you may question. There will be times when you struggle to see how God is at work in the midst of all of it. That's why our faith can never be predicated on the way in which we feel, because your feelings will lie to you. My faith is anchored in the reality of an unchangeable, unmovable God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My faith is anchored to the reality that God is trustworthy. My faith is anchored to the reality that God is who he says he is and that he is trustworthy and that he is faithful when I'm faithless. What does an anchor do? If you think about an anchor of a ship, when you put that anchor down, that anchor grounds that ship. That ship is not going to move. It reminds me of the parable when Jesus said how the various different builders built on various different things. Some built their house on sand and then it blew away and all that. But we sang about Jesus being that firm foundation. When we anchor to that firm foundation, there are lots of storms that will come in life that we will have to exhibit courage and we'll have to walk in faith. But we are anchored. We're not moving. I am not moving. I'm not moving because I know who's in the boat. I know who's in the boat. I hope you know who's in the boat. When the storm came and the wind blew, just as we sang, the disciples went into a frenzy and a chaos and basically said, Jesus, don't you care? Like this storm is happening. But if you read what happens before they get on the boat, Jesus already said, we're going to the other side. <laughs> Jesus already said we're going to get there. So if you trust me and I'm already telling you we're going to get there, it doesn't matter that this storm has actually come because we're going to get there. So we're still going to the other side, and it doesn't matter what everything else that is happening around because remember, I'm in the boat with you. Remember, if you are a person who's placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides within you. God is with you. So when those storms come, and they will, will you just Will you dig down into the anchor? Will you then place your faith in that bedrock of truth and that you will be anchored to him, that reality that he is there and he is unshakable and he's unmovable? That's what we need to do. So let me summarize this for you this morning. Our one true statement was that incredible faith requires incredible courage. I read this story and I look at the story of a woman who was initially afraid and then is willing to execute the plan as she feels God has laid in her heart and is willing to exhibit incredible courage in the, in the face of the most clear and present danger. We see as Esther enters in onto the scene before coming to the king, the very act of her coming was an act of courage, but she's extended favor as he extends the gold scepter. And she displays that courage in the face of fear. We see that she receives the favor of the king and allows her to make the request that she desires because God's grace goes before those who walk in faith and that goes hand in hand. That God's grace, he knows that we need the courage and he gives us the grace to accomplish his purpose. And then we see the request of uh, Esther. 
She requests not only one but two dinner parties with Haman and the king but she, because she knows when is the right time for her to make the request. And little do we know that God is working in the background as Haman is setting up his own demise. It's a twist in the plot. But it takes courage to wait on God for him to answer our request. So how can we put this into practice today? I'm going to encourage you with one thing. I'm going to encourage you to pray for courage. I'm going to encourage you to pray for courage. We need to take the example of Esther when she prayed before approaching the king. We also need to pray for courage. Fear and insecurity are very real. Challenging times and circumstances and storms in life are very real. And the reality is, is that if we are going to be people of faith, then we need to be people of courage. We are going to have to act in the face of that reality, whatever it may be. So my encouragement to you is exactly what Esther did. What did she do? She fasted and she prayed. So that way she worked up the courage to be able to enact, and to do, enact this plan. We need God's help because in our own frailty, the reality is, is that we will crumble in the face of fear. We need a shot in the arm. We need God's courage to be able to see us through. Just like it was for Joshua. Just like it was for any of your favorite Bible people, you can see over and over again when God gives them courage for what he has planned for them because they cannot do it alone. Ladies and gentlemen, let's not do it alone. Why do we as people who believe in Jesus tend to always want to do it on our own? Scripture tells us that in our weakness, he is made strong. Let's pray. So Lord, as we look at this text this morning, and we continue to navigate through the story of Esther, we see very clearly, Lord, how you have been at work behind the scenes. And here we see a young woman who, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't be in the position that she is in, and yet you have uniquely put her there. And in doing so, it has put her in a position now with this edict to face very certain demise. And yet, God, you give her courage to be able to let the chips fall wherever they may. To be able to walk in faith in the midst of that fear. And Lord, when I look at this story, I'm reminded of how many times that I walk in fear and I don't walk in faith. We need courage, Lord, because there will be storms, there will be obstacles, there will be difficulties, there will be many things that we face in this life. Faith has never been promised to be easy, but Lord, you are our anchor. You are the one that secures us. You are that firm foundation. And Lord, I pray that we would not be moved, that we would trust, and that we would know that you are God, and that you're God who is for us, not against us, and that you are the God who is with us. So thank you for that reality. And so Lord, as we just reflect upon that, I pray that you would give us hearts of courage even today. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, and by the power of the Spirit we pray, amen. We're going to take the opportunity, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward. Every Sunday we take the opportunity to pray. Because one of the ways that we love each other well is to be able to pray for one another. 
And so my encouragement to you is that even if it's this, maybe it's in relationship to this message, maybe you need somebody to pray with you because fear is a very real reality to you right now. Maybe it's something, whatever it may be, give us an opportunity. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Now, remember what we're doing right now, the very fact that what we do every Sunday is holy and sacred. There's something beautiful about God's people gathering together. But this is an opportunity for us to worship. And my encouragement to you is that even if you don't need prayer, take an opportunity to engage in worship. Take an opportunity to respond as if only you and God are in this room to what you feel God has communicated to you through his word even this morning. So if you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to be seated, if you want to come down for prayer, we'd love to have you to do that. So let's take an opportunity to worship and to pray and to respond to what God is doing.
Firewheel. We're really glad, as I said, that you are here to worship with us. On the screen behind me, there's a QR code, or you can actually fill out one of these connection cards. Uh, I'd encourage you, we'd love to see where you're at in your spiritual journey to see if we can come alongside of you and how we can help you and serve you, you and your family. And so I'd love to be in contact with you and just see how uh, you can get connected and just where, where you're, wherever you're at, where the Lord is meeting you at this time. So I'd encourage you to stop by the Connection Center. As you walked in, there's a, there's a spot, big red sign, the Connection Center. You can fill out one of these physical cards or even if you don't, I'd love for you to meet one of our guest services attendants and just uh, be able to maybe get any questions answered about Firewheel that you'd like. And we also have a special gift for you for taking the mo uh, some time with us this morning to worship with us. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and we're going to go ahead and uh, take the offering and worship the Lord through giving. Uh, this, every Sunday we take this opportunity to do this as well because we know that money is a tool that can be used for God's kingdom. And if we want to have a facility like this, unfortunately, last time I checked, you know, uh, we still have to, you know, we have, it takes money to do ministry on earth. I wish that wasn't the reality. But here's the deal is that we have the opportunity to give and give with a cheerful heart to the Lord's work, and I believe God is working here at Firewheel. And so we pray that, we just want to pray that this seed would be multiplied for the furtherance of his kingdom to the community he's called us to. So let's pray. So Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity we have to give because we want to give with a cheerful heart. Lord, we know that uh, you are the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, cause this offering and to be able to multiply that we may be able to use it for your kingdom purposes and steward it well uh, because, Lord, you are the one to whom we want to make known. And so, Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we'll give you some announcements. Hmm. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Our final session for Couples Talk with Counselor Doug Doherty will be this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Childcare is available. Youth ministry will also be meeting. Our regular men's and women's Bible studies, along with kids ministry, will kick off for the new year on Wednesday, February 15th. Parents, need a night out? Drop off the kids in the children's building on Friday, February 10th from 6 to 8.30 p.m and go out on a date or get some much needed self time. There will be pizza, indoor games, outdoor games, popcorn, and a movie for the kids. There is no set cost for this event, but we will be taking donations that will go towards sending kids to camp. February 12th, join us for a special event as we welcome Pastor Joe Allen, chaplain at Dallas Theological Seminary, as our guest speaker at our 11 a.m. service. For more information on these or any of our other events, go online to firewheelfellowship.com or you can always check us out on social media. All right, guys, if you'll stand up, we'll pray our benediction and get you dismissed. And we will continue our trek through Esther next week. So may the Lord go before you to light your path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. May he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. You are dismissed. We'll see you all next week.